right, here we go. Leviticus chapters 2 and 3. So, picking up speed, we're going to give uh, 2 and 3 to uh, tonight, which represent the second and third major offerings that were given. There are five major offerings that make up the beginning part of Leviticus, and then they begin to talk about the priest, and so that provides good material for us to think about being priests as well in Christ, and then you get further into Leviticus, and how do I carry this out in, in everyday life? And so tonight, we're going to look at the two offerings that come in chapters 2 and 3, the grain offering, and then also what's sometimes called the fellowship offering, sometimes called the peace offering, depends on what great bold-faced subheadings your Bible uses to, <laughs> to introduce the, the material. There's a note sheet on the back table there, if you didn't get one, a little a little half sheet. If you want to flip that over, you see a chart on the back. I'll try to put that chart on the back every week so that you're able to track with this and, and, and kind of see where this is going. So that chart on the back summarizes all five of the major offerings. On the front are, are a couple of notes that might help you as we kind of go through these chapters. Big idea to take home after is this grain offering has to do with the word memorial, a, a, a devoted memorial offering. The peace offering is about the word meal. So think memorial and meal, and it's not hard to put those both together and come to the final place we're going to come to tonight with the church gathered around the memorial meal of Christ. And, and so that's kind of thinking about the Lord's Supper on Sunday and then bringing us to this point. All right, let's get into chapter 2. Chapter 2 doesn't have as much blood, you'll be glad to know. So uh, it gets bloody again in chapter 3. Chapter 2 is a little break uh, to, to go here. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons the priest. And he shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense. And the priest shall burn this as its memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. This is the word of the Lord. We'll stop right there and then pick up and keep going. Now, I know that several of you have shared with me, and you are working really hard to, to get fit, to be in shape, honor the Lord with your body, make wise decisions in how you eat, and that makes a pastor, pastor proud, seriously, not, not sarcastic at all, like you guys are working hard at this. Um, so I hope tonight, if you are trying to stay away from the carbs, that this section will not be a, a stumbling block to you, so... I know every, when you're trying to stay away from bread, everywhere you look, all you see is bread and chips and people eating this, and then you have a whole chapter here about grain. You're like, what do I, what do, I do about this? Uh, so the priests were definitely not gluten-free uh, in the Old Testament. We know that. Right? We've got all this grain that's being offered here. What, what's happening? What kind of grain is being offered? Verse 1, his offering shall be of fine flour. Now, 
What does it mean fine flour? It's the very best of the grain that was brought. So this is the portion that was ground from inside the kernel of the wheat. So it takes time. It's costly. And it was considered to be a very rare offering that, that was provided. So this is not just any flour. This is the very best of the flour that, that was being given here. I always think about the difference between the good green lettuce and the iceberg stuff. <laughs> so uh, um, the, I, I didn't eat a lot of salad growing up. And by not a lot of salad growing up, I mean no salad growing up. Uh, my family, we ate vegetables. They were fried uh, when we ate them. And that was the only form. Maybe we would empty a can of corn into a bowl on a really good night. But that was the extent of our vegetables. And so I get to college and through a weird sort of, sort of circumstances, I know this is going to sound terrible, but I'm a freshman in college at OBU, and I end up going to St. Louis to the high school prom with a girl there in St. Louis because of a friend on our floor at OBU. And so I end up in St. Louis at this prom, go to this girl's house, sit down. What's the first thing they put in front of you? This salad. I've never consumed a salad in my life at this point. And so I'm 18, I'm at OBU, I'm a freshman in college, I'm on this prom date with this girl I've never met before at her parents' house, and here's a salad, and it's the worst of the type of salads you would get there. Just nothing but white iceberg lettuce and a couple of random vegetables put around the side, and there's all these dressings out there, none of which I've ever tasted up to this point in, in my life, so I don't know which one to, to select, and so... You just go for it. Like I just put a dressing on there and ate every terrible bite of it. Um, now, fast forward to this point in my life, and Amanda will be glad to tell you that I will eat salad if it's the right lettuce. If it's the good lettuce with the right dressing, I'm game for, for salad. So when I read this and was thinking about this idea, you didn't bring the iceberg lettuce with your offering. You brought the best green lettuce. You brought the best of the flour to give because why? The same thing we saw in chapter one. You don't bring an animal with a blemish. When you bring your offering before the Lord, you're giving him your very, your very best. And so what was brought? It was the fine flour that was brought. You pour oil on it, and then it says you would put frankincense on there. This is going to be something that was expensive, that required, again, a sacrifice being made. Don't miss this, though. So, these instructions are given at Mount Sinai. Where do the people go to spend time immediately after Mount Sinai? Not the promised land. Yeah, it's a wilderness wandering. It's kind of a desert in environment. So, think of how precious grain would have been for them at this point. When they have this grain with them, we don't know exactly where they're getting the grain. There's a chance that they've brought this grain from where? Egypt. And where are they taking this grain? Promised land. And this grain is supposed to last them on their journeys from Egypt to, to the promised land. If God is then telling you to bring this grain and give it as an offering, what's one thought that comes to mind? It's this is a precious commodity. This is, we only have so much of this to, to give. And the Lord is saying, give to me now, trust me later. 
It's not about hoarding as much as you can. It's not about holding on to this. It's about give this to me now. I'm, I'm, this is an offering that you're giving to me. I'm going to provide what you need when you get to, to the promised land. Think about how the manna was, was treated. What happened if you tried to hold on to manna? Yeah, went bad. Wasn't, wasn't edible. This is a lesson the Lord's continued to tell them. You have this much grain I've provided for you. You're going to need this grain to start your crops when you get to the promised land. And on the way, I'm going to ask you to give some of this to me as an offering. Incredible act of faith at this point that gets buried in an offering like this, that they're giving up something they only had so much of, trusting that the Lord was going to provide what they needed. You don't need me to help you make good life application at that point. That the Lord says, give to me now, trust me, I'm faithful to you now, I'll be faithful to you in the future. You say, well, I only have a little bit of it, and I'll provide exactly what you need. Trust me now, I'll provide for you in the future. Um, just like Drew was leading us to say, God, faithful in the past, and equally we praise him for what he'll do in the future, because we believe that he's going to provide, he's going to guide us in the way we need to go. So with this grain offering, don't put them in a wheat field, grabbing a bunch of wheat and giving it to the Lord. Put them in the desert with limited grain still offering themselves to the Lord. Verse 2, they're going to bring the grain with the oil and the frankincense on it. They're going to bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest. Uh, symbolically, the grain is meant to go with the meat. You have your meat, you have your bread, everything you need for a good meal right there. So is offered. you have the meat that's offered, the bread that's offered. Then he's going to take it in verse 2. He shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and the oil with all its frankincense, and the priest shall burn this as a memorial portion on the altar. Um, what's going on here with this idea of memorial portion? It's a remembrance offering, partly for the people to remember what God has done for them, but just as much in Scripture when it says that God remembers his people, that's a fairly common phrase in the Old Testament. And it doesn't mean, obviously, that God's forgotten his people. God, God hasn't gotten confused. He hasn't forgotten anything. To remember meant the Lord looked with favor on his people. And so when they would offer this memorial offering, it was a way of saying, God, we remember you. We know that you're the one that provide. We ask that you would look with remembrance upon us. Turn your face toward us. That blessing, that priestly blessing that we talked about last, last week. So it's that idea that's taken up here with the memorial offering. Um, verse 3, the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. So this is the uncooked portion that was given to them and they could use it for food. Verse 4 tells us what to do with a cooked offering. 1 through 3 is if you were uh, very uh, progressive, organic, didn't cook your food, you know, just vegan type style, you want that. Verse 4 is if you bring a cooked offering. So verse 4, when you bring a grain offering baked in the oven as an offering, it shall be unleavened loaves of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers, wafers smeared with oil. Um, think about that oil that you get at Johnny Carino's that has the stuff in it, and you dip the bread in it. Like, I don't know if it was that kind of oil, but it should have been uh, if, if it wasn't. So 
it was brought, it was this bread that was baked that was brought with, with oil. Why unleavened? What do you know about the idea of leaven in Scripture? Why would it be unleavened bread? Yeah, it represents sin. It represents this, uh, anytime you see leaven mentioned, and even the way that yeast works in bread, that it works from a sense of decay, of death, creating the, the process with the bread, even in that sense, they don't want anything to do with death or decay mixed in with an offering. Um, in the holy-unholy separation, holiness is associated with life. Unholiness is associated with death. So anything to do with death, unless it was an animal substituting for you, a substitutionary death, they didn't want anything to do with death to be associated with the offering. And so you wouldn't associate yeast there because it has to do with decay. It has to do with with uh, with death, so you separate it. A couple of New Testament passages that will come quickly to mind for you. Luke 12, 1, Jesus talks about keeping away from the yeast of the Pharisees. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, Paul talks about getting the yeast out of the church and lists several sins there that are operating within the church. And he, and he says, get the yeast out because if you're not careful, what's going to happen? It's going to infect the whole group just as the yeast would go throughout the bread Sin, if you don't deal with it, will end up sweeping throughout the whole church. And so from the Old Testament to the New Testament, yeast had this idea of sin being a part of the people, and they would do everything they could to keep it out because it represented decay, corruption, death. You didn't want anything to do with that. Um, you go ahead from, from there, verse 5. If your offering is a grain offering baked on a griddle, at least that's what English Standard Version says. I'm not, not sure what your translation says in verse 5, but grain offering baked on a griddle, it shall be a fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it as a grain offering. If your offering is a grain offering cooked in a pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. Verse 8, and you shall bring the grain offering that's made of these saints to the Lord, and when it's presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take from the grain offering its memorial portion, there's that phrase again in verse 9, and burn this on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Just for a moment, think about the smell of bread, like fresh baked bread. Sorry again if you're not participating in bread right now in your life, but uh, just the smell of that. What that it's good to know that the Lord appreciates that, that aroma, that smell. Um, we talked earlier, at, somebody was sitting with at dinner, we were talking about how bad most of the sacrifices must have spell, smelled. They must have been so excited when they got to this particular one just to have a change of, change of smell. Verse 10, but the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons is a most holy part of the Lord's offering. Verse 11, no grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey as a food offering to the Lord. As an offering of first fruits, you may bring them to the Lord, but they shall not be offered on the altar for a pleasing aroma. Look at verse 13. This one's kind of surprising. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Why? What's going on there? In this part of the world, and even to modern day life in places in the Middle East, salt represents covenant. 
when people would make an agreement or a covenant with one another, salt was representative of making that covenant and then continuing to affirm that covenant. And so salt here is a reference to the covenant relationship that the people had with God. And so when they would offer this grain offering, it always included salt because they were being reminded of this relationship that God had established with them. Um, salt also is known for preserving, uh, obviously seasoning, but also that, that work of preserving. So the way that the covenant would be preserved between God and his people and so they were very precise. All these symbols that are tied in there are meant to reaffirm the relationship that the people had with the Lord. Okay, so before we go on to the next, next offering, first, think about the pattern of the offerings that you have. Chapter 1 was atonement offering. So making atonement for sin is the first offering. So the sin has to be dealt with. The second offering is an offering of devotion and worship to the Lord, a thanksgiving offering to, to the Lord. So I've been cleansed, sin has been dealt with, there's atonement that's happened, now I'm affirming this covenant with the Lord, I'm giving him praise, I'm, de I'm devoting myself to him. I, I think I put there on your notes that the purpose of this first offering was a memorial dedication to demonstrate one's dedication to the Lord the grain was worship, not atonement. Atonement had already been made through the burnt offering of chapter 1. So this grain offering is about worship and thanksgiving. Um, also, the idea there of bringing the offer to the Lord's remembrance, that the Lord would show his favor and his care for his people. Um, this is also the first offering we run into in which the priests are able to take of what's offered, that this is part of how they got their food. In the New Testament, in a couple of places, 1 Corinthians and Galatians, Paul will use this offering as a way of talking about the church providing for church leadership. So, um, at fear of talking too much about myself standing up here, um, or Jim sitting here, just to know that the relationship, what I'm trying to say is if you bring us bread, bring us good bread, you know, that's what we're, that's what Jim and I are trying to get at here. So, uh, that, that the uh, offering that was given to the priest, that they were able to, to participate in that. And so uh, I didn't know how else to put that, but we would eat it if you, yeah, if it's good bread with the, good, the right oil and leave the frankincense off and things like that. So if you want to add leaven in, it is the new covenant. We don't operate completely under the old covenant. So uh, you can add leaven and we'll take leavened bread or unleavened bread. We live under the new law, new covenant. Um, Okay, so that's chapter 2. Let's go to chapter 3. Chapter 3 is the peace offering, the fellowship offering. Here's, here's what it says in chapter 3. If his offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering, the word peace there, if you read out the Hebrew, it's the word shalom. That word's going to come probably quickly to your mind. It's a word that doesn't just mean peace. It, it has the idea of wholeness, completeness. Uh, shameless plug, come back Sunday morning, and we'll talk a whole lot about that um, on Sunday morning at 1030. But shalom is about peace and wholeness and, and this perfection we have with the Lord. So it's a sacrifice of a peace offering. If he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. Verse 2 of chapter 3. 
He shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's son shall throw the blood, so we're back to blood now, against the sides of the altar. And from the sacrifice of the peace offering, as a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. Verse 5. Then Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood on the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Um, then you get similar instructions in 6 through 11, what to do if it's an animal from the flock, not an animal from the herd. Verse 12, you get some instructions for what to do if it's a goat. Um, and then you get all the way down to verse 17. Look at chapter 3, verse 17. Or actually, chapter 3, verse 16. The priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering. So this is Leviticus 3, 16. Um, as a food offering with a pleasing aroma, all fat is the Lord's. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places that you eat neither fat nor blood. Okay. So, you don't need me to help you here, but there's a quick humorous moment there that this is a phrase that's been pulled out of Scripture and used in some pretty funny memes or, uh, or pictures over the years. But all fat is the Lord's. Do with that what you want to. Uh, but here's the, the theological moment. Why would they separate off the fat and burn it on the, off, um, on the offering table? Not just because it's bad for you, but uh, it was the best part. Yeah. I know you're supposed to cut the fat off of the side of the pork chop or the steak, but man, that marbling in there, like if you just can't, you can't get past the flavor that comes with that. And so it was another example of you offer the very best to the Lord. So the fat portions were cut off, they were burned up and given as an offering to the Lord. And also the people didn't eat the blood. Why did not, they not eat the blood? It represented the life, yeah. So who owns life ultimately? It's the Lord. It's not to be consumed by any person, not to be taken by any person. So you give the best to the Lord and you entrust life to the Lord so you don't eat the fat or the blood, but they would eat the rest of this. You say, well, I didn't read that in there. Well, neither did I, but here's how the book of Leviticus works. Turn over to chapter 7. So, we'll catch it more next week, but these first five offerings spill into the middle of chapter 6 of Leviticus. Then beginning in the middle of chapter 6, going through chapter 7, they go back and they begin to work back through the offerings, giving other instructions to the priest. And so a couple of places in here, you get references to, to these offerings that, that have been made. Uh, chapter 7, verse 11. Chapter 7, verse 11. This is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings that one may offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with this thanksgiving sacrifice unleavened loaves mixed with oil, wafers, fine flour mixed with oils. 
with the sacrifice of his peace offerings for Thanksgiving, he'll bring his offering with loaves of bread. So we're going back around here to, to these offerings that, um, that were given. Verse 14, And from it he shall offer one loaf from each offering as a gift to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who throws the blood of the peace offerings. Chapter 7, verse 15, And the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for Thanksgiving shall be eaten on the day of his offering. He shall not leave any of it until the morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow offering or a free will offering, it'll be eaten on the day that he offers the sacrifice. On the next day, what remains of it shall be eaten. What remains of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day shall be burned up with fire. Uh, probably because at that point, it's not safe to eat, um, most likely, is the, is the idea. Um, Verse 18, if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten on the third day, he who offers it shall not be accepted, neither shall it be credited to him. It is tainted, and he who eats it shall bear its iniquity. Um, you get a little bit more reference down there in verse 22. It talks again about not eating the fat. Um, you get back over to verse 28. Verse 28 of chapter 7, speak to the people of Israel, saying, whoever offers the sacrifice, oh, this is verse 29, sorry, of chapter 7. Speak to the people, whoever offers the sacrifice of his peace offerings to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice. His own hand shall bring the Lord's food offerings. He brings the fat, and then it talks about presenting the meat in different ways. Um, you go down to verse 35 of chapter 7. This is the portion of Aaron and of his sons from the Lord's food offerings from the day they were presented to serve as priests of the Lord's, the, of the Lord. The Lord commanded this to be given them by the people of Israel from the day that he anointed them. It's a perpetual law throughout their generations. Okay, I just wanted you to see where this idea is coming from. And when they would present the peace offering, it would be eaten not only by the priest but also by the people who came to offer it. So what you have here is an image of eating together in the presence of the Lord. Take that and stretch it all the way across the pages of the New Testament, and you start to see what Christ does for his people, that this peace offering, this fellowship offering, is a reminder of how we've been reconciled to God. And when you've been reconciled to someone and you're eating with them, it's a sign of fellowship, it's a sign of peace, it's a sign of partnership together, that we're in covenant, we're in relationship. There's a lot of power that comes from eating with people, saying, you're with me, you're included in, in, uh, in our group. And so, in the New Testament, what does Paul get so upset with Peter about? who he's willing to eat with and who he's not willing to eat with. Who you eat with says a lot about who you're in fellowship with. And so this offering that was given in Leviticus was meant to be shared as a meal, not only among the priests and the people who offered it, but also it was symbolically supposed to be a meal in the presence of the Lord. Turn over. We're going to end with this because we're, we're running out of time. Turn over to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. You probably have this dog-eared in your Bible or borderline memorized from 
but, but I want you to see the connection between this fellowship offering, peace offering in Leviticus 3 that we could read quickly past and see where it takes us when we're reconciled to God, when we have peace with God through Jesus, and that also brings peace with one another. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 is, is really nails that down, but let's look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I know at first glance, you wouldn't read Acts 2, 46 through 47 and think about Leviticus, but you have some Leviticus 3 working in the background of Acts 2, 46 through 47. Because remember the pattern of the sacrifices. Leviticus 1, atonement for sin. So my sin has been dealt with through the death of a substitutionary sacrifice, ultimately pointing to Jesus. Leviticus 2 I've devoted myself to the Lord with this memorial gift given to the Lord, this grain offering. Leviticus 3, now I'm in fellowship with the Lord. And not only with the Lord, but with his people. And so now we're gathered in this, in this meal of thanksgiving. You know how good it is to invite people over to your house and just spend time thanking God together for the goodness of life? Laughing together, fellowshipping together in peace knowing what it is to say, God, we wouldn't have any of this if it wasn't for your grace, for your peace, for your work in our life. As a church, we do that when we gather together in worship. We do that when we gather together around, around the Lord's table. I just don't want you to miss how good it is to see Leviticus 3 point us to the reconciliation we have in Christ with God and with one another, and then how we live that out together as a church. Strange application from Leviticus 3, but practice hospitality. Um, I know that you talked about this in a lot of Sunday school classes, Sunday morning. Um, we talked about it a little bit Sunday night, actually, in our group. It, it came together as well on Sunday night um, in our group here. But when we have peace with God, it allows us to live out that peace with one another. And when people are not in peace in their own home, and you invite them into a place of peace, they want to know about that. Um, what's my time? I've got two minutes. I'll tell you a quick story because it, it just comes back to me um, so often on this. I had the blessing of growing up in a home of peace. Um, we were terrible at verbally telling each other that we loved one another. We didn't verbalize it, but man, I grew up in a gospel-centered, peaceful home. Um, we rarely, if ever, had dinner with just the five of us. So it was my parents, me, two younger brothers, there were five of us. Almost always my mom put out uh, an extra plate. I didn't know it as a kid. I didn't know it until later, but looking back, the people that were eating with us, the reason they were eating with us is because they didn't want to go to their own home. 
because their home was not a place of peace. Either there was nobody there, or when they went home, it was full of tension and hatred. They just wanted to be at our house because they knew it was safe, and they knew it was a place of peace. And I can't tell you, I'm starting to get choked up about this. I can't tell you the number of those people that came to know Christ because my parents brought them into our home and they just experienced peace and they ate with us and it was a safe place. Um, and, and the people we still have relationships with uh, because of that. And so when atonement is made and our, our sins are dealt with, when we've devoted ourselves to the Lord with that memorial gift, then we're at a place to be reconciled with one another and, and share that peace and that fellowship. And so um, we usually don't cry about Leviticus 3, uh, but I managed to do that tonight. So uh, I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, but I want you to know that there's great power in peace and fellowship and the shalom that, that the Lord brings. So let me pray for us. we got to go pick up kids from, from their areas. God, thank you for your work, your grace in our lives. God, thank you for the power of these sacrifices that we read about in the, uh, in the Old Testament and Leviticus. God, we know that they, they point us to the hope that we have in Christ, uh, but there's so much, uh, so much meaning, so much nuance in these, in these passages that we read that remind us of how you've called us to live as your people. God, I pray that our church gathered together would be a place of peace and fellowship, God, if people are in a place in life where it's chaotic, where there's a lot of hatred and tension, that simply coming to, to be part of a gathering here would be a, a place of peace and acceptance. God, I pray that our homes would be a place of peace for people to come to. We know there's so much tension in the world, so many kids that grow up in a situation where they're not safe, they don't want to go home. God, that they would be able to come into our homes and, and know what it is to experience the peace that comes ultimately through Christ. So God, continue to use those things to, uh, to push us to live out and share the gospel with others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thanks for being here tonight. Have a great night. Deacons, uh, I think we're in 231 again for our meeting tonight, if you're here for that. so.